Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. Christmas Carol. I'm going to talk about the past. In 2 Peter chapter 1, 3, 5 through 9. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his goodness. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Peter is encouraging believers that there is a, a work of God. Obviously, what Jesus did on the cross was incredibly powerful. His grace is what we've been learning about, and we've, we always talk about here at Valley, is God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. The whole work of the cross was grace. But there's also, as Peter is saying here, a participation. There is something that we need to do to engage. And he shares it in increasing in an increasing uh, way here. And at the very end, he says, if we're not moving forward, if we're not increasing in the grace of God, if we're not engaging God and growing in the different aspects of how grace is, is, is poured out in our lives, then we're going to become nearsighted. We're going to begin, begin to not be able to see our life in the context of the kingdom. It's very easy. We all understand it. We know. We've felt that before where we can't, we don't understand what's going on, just like even in our story. He's, he's nearsighted. He's become blind to God's purpose and will for his life. And Peter wraps it all up by saying, our past sins become something of an anchor for us. They become, they loom larger. As a matter of fact, the things that we think were forgiven and under the blood begin to come back. Have you ever lay in bed and, and thought about something that you did years ago and cringed at what you should have done differently? Yeah, we all do that. Our past has a way of not going away. The things we need to remember, we forget. And the things that we want to forget, we remember. That is because our past is full of events that we let define us. So how did we do that? Number one, we let failures define us. Things that we failed to do. They haunt us. And we all understand that. We all feel the pain of that. It, it closes in on us. We try to relive those events. We let those define us. And as a matter of fact, we often don't try again. We may give up. In the case of even, that's exactly what he did. When he experienced a failure, he just said, well, I give up. So we let those failures define us. 
Because what we allow to happen to our past often will affect our future. We know that to be true. Secondly, we let disappointments define us. Disappointments. And that's not necessarily the full-blown failure, but there are things that didn't happen exactly the way we wanted them to happen. And the one thing's for certain that, that as you follow God, you'll find out very quickly, if you haven't already, is that it does not unfold exactly the way we would like it to unfold. Can you say amen to that? A lot of times we have dreams. <coughs> Excuse me. We have dreams. We have hopes. But it doesn't happen the way we expect it to happen, and so we often begin to back off or we begin to blame other people, which leads us to our, our next way that we let our past define us. We let painful connections with people define us. Relationships. The kind of relationships we've had with family, that with friends. And a lot of times, you know, what we experience in our relationships can be something that brings energy to our life or it can sap us. And if we let that do it and let that become our experience, then it can begin to define who we are. Once we've had a bad experience, we tend to frame our thinking around that past memory. Much is subconscious, of course, but sometimes those defining moments just to continue to haunt us. Why? Because we tend to blame ourselves for our failures. We blame ourselves. You know, I heard recently uh, a teaching from a, a fellow pastor, and he said, you know, your self-talk is so... It, it, it's so uh, indicative of what is really going on inside you. And so you need to stop sometime and, and, you know, like locking your keys in your car. If you say, man, you idiot, it tells you a lot about what your, your self-talk is and what you think about yourself. I mean, you know, we've all been there. And things when that, when those kind of things, what we're saying to ourselves constantly. And a lot of times we just have to stop and say, what am I really saying to myself? Am I cutting myself down? If that's the case, then it's probably because you've allowed your past failures to define you. We blame ourselves. And that's a very difficult place to live. Number two, why do we do this? Because we tend to blame God for our disappointments. The scripture says very poignantly, very powerful, this one verse that says it's a man's own folly that ruins his life yet his heart rages against the Lord. It rages against the Lord. We've been there too. We've talked to people. In the case of Eben, that's exactly where he is. He experienced these failures, he experienced these disappointments, and he wants to blame God. He says, you know, God has done nothing for me at all. Do you see the nearsightedness there? Because God had done a lot for him. A tremendous amount. But he can no longer see that. And that's what happens to us too. We want to blame God for those disappointments that happen, and we want to hang that around his, his head, forgetting that he's a perfect God, forgetting that he loves us very, very much, forgetting that his providential plan is the best plan. It just doesn't always work out exactly the way we expect it to work out. But that's what we do. We blame God. And then thirdly, why does this happen? Why do we let the past? Because we blame other people for our painful relationships. We rarely take responsibility for our own participation in the breakdown, the, uh, the broken relationship that happened. And so we have, 
in, in, you know, this is, this is a hard one to get a hold of because there, some of these things are definitely outside our control. But a lot of time, our ability to love people is defined by how many broken relationships we have behind us. And, you know, Paul says this. He says, as far as it within you, live at peace with all man. You know, we do our very best. But if we're always out there picking fights, you know, you're not going to have a lot of folks around you that really like you, like hanging with you. You've got an aggressive, abrasive personality. That doesn't tend to bring a lot of, you know, loving, warm, fuzzy feelings. Not that we shouldn't be ourselves. But when it comes to relationships that begin to strain, whether it be in our marriage, whether it be with friendships, whether it be with coworkers or extended family members, you know, we're going to have challenges. We're going to have broken moments. There are going to be those places where you feel like you're being taken advantage of or someone has crossed the line with you. But in the end, we get nearsighted and we forget to look inside our hearts to see what did we do how did we participate in this? See, in our story, Eben is facing a troubling time in his life. It's a culmination of many choices. To just look at him sitting there and just say he came to this place overnight is not a reality. And this is 30 years of ministry and counseling talking. This is looking at my own life. We, can all, we all know this as believers. We read in the news every single day different things that are happening to people, but if, we're, if, we're, if, if we take a moment and get past nearsightedness, then we'll see that most people's lives are a culmination of the choices that they've made. Things that they believe about themselves, things that they believe about God, and things that they believe about other people. They're a culmination of all of that. We are. He came to the end of his rope. Our guy here is, is, is looking at the possibility of suicide. This time of the year, it's you know, the highest time. I think what happens when people are kind of, what is forced upon them is the season of perpetual hope, you know, and all of the, the wonderful things, and, and many of it is as artificial as the trees we put in our home. The truth is that there's so much more we can have if we'll open our eyes, if we'll let God open our eyes. See, a lot of times what we do is rather than open our eyes, we step around the issue. We work for the hacks. We look for the, the, the workarounds in our life rather than going straight through what's going on to just say, why do I say this about myself? Why do I believe these things? Or why do I think this about God when I know when I read my Bible or when I listen to a sermon or when I hear other people that have that peace in their eyes and that joy on their face, I hear a message, but I don't believe it. Why? Rather than just say, well, that's just the way it is. We need, and, and what we often do, again, we just do a workaround. We come up. I mean, you know, one thing about being Americans is that we enjoy our freedom. We enjoy our individuality. We enjoy our ability to say, look, I can paint my house whatever color I want to paint it. And sometimes that's pretty scary. You know? And we've got a melting pot of many different cultures that we're constantly challenging one another in our preferences and whatnot. And so, 
we are faced with lots of challenges when it comes to that. We try everything in our power to work around the obvious solution. So we punish ourselves, we rage at God, and we blame others. This is a common story for many, many people. But what can we do? What can we do? Thank God for Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 7 is a, is a turning point in the Scripture. It's like it's the hinge of the whole book. And as you read the first six chapters, you come to the end. Paul comes to the end of himself when he gets to the end of chapter 7. It says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will rescue me from how impacting sin has been? I love it. It's such a wonderful book. It's a theological treatise. If you were ever going to be, if they only gave you one book you could keep with you, it needs to be that one. Because your theology will always be straight. And then Romans 8 comes in. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? To know that we're not condemned by our past. The problem is, my friends, is that for most people, and a lot of Christians, that is only skin deep. The true understanding and the faith in that truth. Because we continue, because you say, well, look, it would be like uh, a, you know, going to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, look, how are you feeling? I'm feeling terrible. Well, why are you feeling terrible? I gave you all this medication to help you. Have you been taking it? No. <laughs> what? You're not taking the medication? No. Why? You know, I just didn't think it was going to do any good. I mean, I feel bad. Maybe I'm supposed to feel bad. Well, as a doctor, you'd want to slap him, wouldn't you? as I'm sure some of our doctors have been tempted to do. But let's, you know, because you just say, well, why don't you do what is prescribed? I mean, multiply that times billions for our dear God in heaven who looks down and says, I've given you a prescription. I've given you a solution. I have sent my son. I took care of your problem. I present, I mean, here you had a contractual problem. Someone had to pay for sins. Not only did I provide for the sacrifice, I signed the contract for you. And all you have to do is show up and say, oh, okay, thanks. Literally, all we have to do is say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being my Savior. Think about how easy that is. Think how powerful that is. So, Notice what Peter said. I'm going to go back to that real quickly. Hopefully I don't lose my place. But right here at the very end, he says, but whoever does not have these things in increasing measure, because we have faith in God, and then we grow in goodness, knowledge, and knowledge to self-control, and then we grow in per perseverance, and we grow in godliness. You know what? Godliness is acting more like God. Acting more like God means I understand more of the universe and my place in it. You know what that means? God gets bigger, you and I get smaller. Not the other way around. As a matter of fact, in the world, humans become huge. And there is no God. But that's not what Peter is saying needs to really happen. And then growing in love, he says, man, if you get these qualities growing out inside you, then you are taking a step to not let your past define you anymore. As a matter of fact, he says, and if we turn this around, you're going to have vision to see your life in the context of what God is doing. 
okay? I'm turning that last part of that verse around, and then you're going to constantly remember that you've been uh, cleansed from your past sins. So when you're laying in your bed, you're not going to be there rolling, grinding your teeth, thinking about the past. You're going to fall asleep with a little smile on your face saying, thank God that that is forgiven. Now, whether you should have taken a left turn or a right turn, or like for a lot of football guys, you should have cut left or right, or you could have made that last second shot and they would have carried you off the course, can't help you with that one. Because in the losing, God had something for you. In the winning, God had something for you. Sometimes there's good moments in all of it. I'm not going to find where I left off here. So, this is a common story for all of us. But what can we do? Jesus came to heal us. He came to restore us. He came to read about the images of people coming to him with many diseases. I'm sorry, we can read about the images of of, of people coming to him with many diseases. These were helpless people who were under great duress, and he eased their pain by healing them. That's what I love about what took place here in the ministry of Christ. When he came broken to them, their past completely defining them to the point where now disease, their self-talk, the bitterness, the things that was the, the sin that was so deeply encrusted and embedded into their very DNA. When they came to Christ, he didn't just say, uh, we'll run around the temple seven times and then we'll just see what happens. Didn't do that. Just out of dear mercy, he just said, come. And he laid hands on them many times, not even asking them questions. By virtue of just being there, the mercy of God poured out like water, eased their pain. Now, there were those times that we have recorded in Scripture where he would heal them or or forgive them, but he would tell them something very, very critical in the area of counsel. He said, now go and sin no more, didn't he? He said that too to the woman caught in adultery. Might want to answer that. It could be the Lord. It's okay. I was just kidding, Wanda. So the biggest question I think we all have is this. Why do bad things happen to good people? Okay, we're talking about our past here. And because some of those are some of the things that we cringe over, right? We cringe over, why did that have to happen? You know, I think of my own life. Why did I have to grow up in the kind of home that I grew up in? Why did this, I mean, and I've had people in my office where they're weeping and telling me their stories, and I even come to that place and saying, yeah, God, why? Why did this have to happen? We do understand conceptually, you know, why bad things happen to bad people, right? I mean, bad people deserve it. You know, they should get more. But why? But why for good people? Sometimes God's love is so real and true that God has to get in our way to stop us from doing something that we will certainly regret. Did you catch that? Say it again. Sometimes God's love is so real and true that God has to get in our way to stop us from doing something that we will certainly regret. How many times when we lay in bed are there moments of things that we don't have to grind our teeth about because of the mercy of God. That is a better way to go to sleep at night, to say, Lord, thank you 
that I'm alive, that I have your grace. Above all, that I have an understanding of who Jesus is because there's many, many millions, if not billions of people still on the earth who do not have an understanding of Jesus, who will die in their sins, who will experience eternal damnation. Not that we take any joy in that. But we can say, thank God that that's not me. But God has to get in our way sometimes. And, you know, when you think in terms of, you know, when bad things happen, maybe that bad thing was supposed to happen. Not that, you know, it involved a lot of real darkness, but I think to myself, I've been here and I've lived this. When I say to myself, if I did not go through what I went through, would I have needed God as much as I need him? Would I become the kind of man I am today? You know, sometimes difficulty is such a defining force because through it, we know that God takes the despised things of the world, that God takes the broken things of the world, and upon those things, he brings his light and his glory. We've talked about this already, and that's why Paul said, man, I'll rejoice all the more in my weaknesses because where I'm weak, I am what? Strong. Sometimes God allows us a set of circumstances to happen so that we will stop doing the things we're doing because our actions are completely unblessable. Just completely unblessable. I know that's not a word. I've got a big red line under it on my word. Okay, you know what I'm going to do to you? Hyphen, go away. All right, see, that's cool. I fixed it. So the truth is that God is looking at us and saying, oh, I don't know where you learned that, but I can't bless that. And sometimes reading the word is exactly how we figure those things out. And sometimes getting counsel. And I love it, you know, when people come up and say, you know, I've heard about this, and I grew up to believe in this, and I've always done that. What do you think? Wrong. What? Yeah, that's not biblical. Why don't you turn to, you study these three or four verses, and you'll see that that's not biblical in what you're doing there. And that's the reason why you have not seen success in that particular area. Because God is resisting you. I mean, it's one thing to have the devil in your way, which that's automatic pilot. He's always going to be in your way. But when God gets in your way, ain't nothing going to happen. But see, God is not there to hurt you. God is saying, look, I want you to stop doing what you're doing, and I want you to start doing this. Because then we can really see your life expand and come into some of the dreams that you have, some of the prophecies that have been spoken over you, the things that have been, the gifts that have been uh, given to you through the laying out of hands of, 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 of authority, of leadership. Sometimes God stops something good to save you for something so much better. You know? A lot of times, the greatness is interrupted by just the good. It's co-opted. It's, you know, and that happens so much in this world. And for Christians, many, many times, we will settle on that. You know, (laughs) I use this illustration all the time um, because it was so true and real and, and felt and experienced in my life. You know, I had a woman come up to me. I didn't know very well. I was a young man. And, um... She came up to me and she said, look, don't settle for the bronze, wait for the gold. 
And then she said, by the way, I'm talking about your wife. And I was like, oh, I'm only 19 years old. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I'll keep that in mind. Thank you, ma'am. You know? And so that was always, once that was laid inside my heart, I knew, I knew so clearly that every decision I made, everything that I did in a particular direction when it came to seeking out a wife, which I knew God wanted me to have, Andrea was the gold waiting for me. But there were other situations. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And I'm grateful to God. Because, you know, some of the one, uh, points one and two actually kicked in. God's love for me was so real. He knew. He's like, David, we can't get anywhere with the choices you're trying to make. I got big things planned for you. Would you I got this little red-haired girl that you've got to have. So would you just, just cool out and wait for her? And amen. Thank God I did. So, so much, something so much better. We can apply that to many choices in our life, our career paths. You know, it, it's amazing to me that I just feel like so many young people, they just get gobbled up in this, um, you know, combine, in this situation where we just feel like, okay, I've got to choose, I've got to choose, I've got to choose right now. And we just, we all try to treat our young people exactly the same, that by 18 years old, they should have figured everything out. They're no, now, and we all, those of us who've lived life, that's one of those gnawing issues when we sleep that night. Man, I should have I took more time. Because now I'm doing something in my life I don't really enjoy, and I really should have taken my time. I should have figured out who I am. I should have taken time to find out what my real gifts were. And I won't talk any more about that, because that, that can be a real sensitive thing. But I'm telling you, God, if we'll turn to him and just say, God, you made me. You know my hopes and dreams. As Paul said, I'm not Paul, but David said in Psalm 139, you know me when I sleep and when I rise. You know me from inside out. Before any thought ever came to be, you know it fully. So why do we not turn to the living God who knows us so well and just say, Lord, my future, and we're going to talk about the future here in a couple of weeks, but my future, everything belongs to you. Sometimes, we won't know until we get to heaven when it comes to answering the question of why bad things happen to good people. Sometimes we just can't sort it out. We just don't understand. But, you know, gonna be, there's probably going to be a long line behind Jesus or in front of Jesus, and everybody's going to be there. Okay, I just got to know. Why did this happen? Big one is, why did I come here so early? <laughs> why did I take the early bus for this? I mean, I'm glad to be here and all, but I'm just kind of wondering, you know. So, folks, do you let your past define you? Do you shudder from shame? Are you reminded and you become flush with guilt? Jesus came to wash you and I from our sins. Our past is no longer our problem. If it haunts us, if it is something that continues to define us, it's because we are nearsighted and we don't understand fully what God has done. He came to not only forgive our past failures, but he has come to heal our present. Only he can remove the thorn of guilt and shame. Only he can take those memories and wrap them up with grace so that you and I no longer feel ashamed, but in its place feel gratitude. So you can't just be empty. 
You can't just be stagnant. You can't just walk around numb. And yet that's what I think people seek, is they're just like, you know, I'd rather just be numb. I'll take pot and numb myself. I'll take drugs and just numb my. I'd rather just be a walking zombie than think about my past, my present, or my future. I'd rather just not deal with any of it. And that's no good. That's not what God created. That's not why Jesus died for us. That's not what he wants us to have. But he wants to take our memories. See, you know, uh, I talk about this in counseling all the time. I mean, it's a wonderful thought that, you know, they could have electroshock treatments or, or they could give you a certain drug that would make you forget only, you know, all of your bad stuff. But that wouldn't be a powerful thing at all. Because what God wants to do is take our past failures and use them for his glory. He wants us to be able to take those things out of us, the brokenness, pull them out, put them on out there for all to see and on display, and it be completely transformed by the grace of God, and then put it right back into our living, active, real memory, and it now become a source of joy. Who can do that but God? Because when I look at my past, and I think of what happened three days before Christmas in my life, when my mom left, when I think of that, I don't sit there and want to grab a bottle of whiskey and try to drown it. Never even comes to my mind. What I think about is, yeah, I'll give my mom a call because she's a believer. She's one of my best friends. That's the work of God. That is what God can do for you if you let him. I know it seems like an impossibility for some of you, when, especially when you think of, yeah, well, you don't know my mom. Um, yeah, I do. Now, it may not have been my experience with my mom, but I've known, a, after 30 years, I know a lot of moms. I know a lot of moms. I've heard of some of the worst moms on the planet. And they still can be forgiven. They still can be healed. And even if they don't change, your view of them can change. Only he can take those memories and wrap them with grace so that you and I, we don't feel afraid, I'm sorry, ashamed, but we feel gratitude. We're full of hope because he did not cast us aside. Before we can grow toward wholeness, we must address the mark on the door that invites the struggle. These things have to be confronted before we're finished this morning. Three things. Number one, we must embrace forgiveness with faith. If we're not, if you don't want your past to know, I mean, if, if you want your past to no longer define you, then you've got to do these three things. Number one, you must embrace forgiveness with faith. There's, there's, there's a key there now. You can't just believe in forgiveness. A lot of people believe in forgiveness, but they don't exercise it. They don't use it. They don't walk in it. See, what God said is true. When it comes to our sins, it says that he tells us that he's going to cast our sins as far as the east is from the west, that God who forgets nothing will forget our sins. He chooses to. He's, he, he, he's the only one who can erase the hard drive of who he is when it comes to you and for me. So when we come to him and just say, and we've been chewing and, and taking the next layer of enamel off of our teeth, and we've been struggling all night long about something we've done in our past, and the first thing we do is get up in the morning, we grab our Bible, and we come to the Lord with our coffee and say, Lord, please forgive me for that. He goes, what are we talking about? 
I don't, did you do it again? Oh, no, 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 I didn't do it again. I mean, I was just, it, it, that happened. He goes, I still don't know what you're talking about. I forgave that and forgot it. Oh. Well, that's cool. And exactly, God is just like, look, Christian, look, follower, look, my child, why do we keep going over these things? Why do you keep asking for forgiveness for the same old sins that I died for? Why are you, what is the problem there? I'll tell you what the problem is. You don't believe God. Ooh, ow, yeah. You don't believe him. He says, it is forgiven. It is finished, is what Jesus said. And we kept saying, yeah, but it's still in the oven. It's still working. It still has, no, he says it's done. It's forgiven. That is faith in the word of God at a level that, my friend, you have to walk in for you to experience the kind of freedom from your past. Number two, we must release God from our demands. You know, I got a letter just this week. And it, was, it just broke my heart reading how this man was utterly disappointed with God. He was disappointed with God because everything did not work out as he hoped it would be. And rather than say, hmm, well, must have been a lot of carnal planning in there. Must have been a lot of me in this, and so it failed. Okay, God, how do we not do that the next time? No, 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 he had completely given up and just said, well... You know, I trusted God, and man, did he ever let me down. It's like, you don't understand God. He's not a teenage girl who talks on a cell phone and forgets five minutes what they said just five minutes earlier. God is not that way. God is very, very serious about your life. He knows. Jesus told that to his disciples. He said, did you know that your heavenly Father knows how many hairs are on your head? Out of the billions of souls on the earth, he knows you. Which is amazing when we stand before him and he says, um, who are you when it comes to faith? That's a little scary. We've got to release God from our demands. God doesn't make any deals. He has one deal. <laughs> one deal. Follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Follow me, and I will forgive all your sins, and I will give you purpose and joy and a fountain of life. Follow me. There is no give me half your soul, give me half your life. I got my church life. I got my private life. There's none of that. It's you give it all. We've got to release God from our demands. Thirdly, we must forgive and release people. Mm. Man, we are, boy, we get after it when it comes to forgiving our own sins. And Jesus brought that up, by the way, in Matthew 18. He says, you know, you, everybody wants to be forgiven. But not everybody's quick to forgive. And he said, and I'm telling you right now, God will not overlook that. He said, he will turn you over to the tormentors until you forgive. He will allow struggle to come into your life. That's how much he loves you. But he will allow you to go through continued struggle until you come to the end of yourself and say, you know what? I got to forgive. I, I can't hold on to this anymore. Mm. Very, very hard. But my friends, if you want to be released from your past, you got to forgive people and you got to move on. 
But what if I can't forgive what they've done? You don't know what they did to me. I understand. But let me ask you a question. Did they tear all your clothes off? Did they beat you to an inch of your life? Did they take a crown of thorns and shove it onto your brow, deep into your skin until the blood ran down over your face? Did they mock you? Did they drag you through the streets and beat you as you went? Did, did you see even children laughing at you? Did you have to drag a cross for over a mile up a hill? And when you got there, did they nail your hands into wood with no pain medication? Did they nail your feet together with a spike that was about an inch and a half thick? And then after they did that to you, did they prop you up and let you fall down about two feet into a hole where everything inside you just felt like you were melting with pain, beyond excruciating pain? Knowing that you didn't deserve Have you suffered that much? I don't think any of us have. Even if you have been beaten, even if you were mistreated or abused in any fashion, which God have mercy on your soul. None of us experienced the Heavenly Father saying, turning his face away. When Jesus looked up and said, Father, why have you forsaken me? I told you to please take this away, this cup from me, and you chose not to. And now I'm suffering. Everything that was human in him was crying out to his daddy, why don't you rescue me now? None of us have been there. When it comes to people abusing us, hurting us, cutting you off in traffic, what on earth are we doing? Holding any human with the kind of contemptible unforgiveness that we hold on to when Jesus has forgiven us so much. We cannot let that define our past because it will. It will keep our past alive and, and fiery like a poison that will eat like an acid at your very mind, your will, and your emotions. We've got to forgive people. We've got to turn them loose. See, the fastest way to shift into forgiveness mode is to remember that your past has plenty of failures too. Now you're thinking the way you should. This truth was uh, solidified and, and laid out in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, forgive, forgive my sins even as I forgive those who've sinned against me. It's like breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Colossians chapter 3 Verse 13, forgive as the Lord forgave you is what Paul was telling believers. So folks, our past can define us. We've all had plenty of sin. Let him who has no sin, right, cast the first stone. Let him who is free of sin stand up this morning and declare it to all of us. There's not a one of us. We're all dirty. We all have things that come and have hurt us and wounded and, and, and discolored our past. But thank God for Jesus Christ. He offers us forgiveness today for our past sins. He offers us healing for our disappointments. And he offers us the opportunity to release others, to look at them and say, Lord, just like Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That used to bother me. 
what? They know what they're doing. And that person who just did that to me knows what they're doing. Not really. One day we'll all see exactly what sin has done, and there'll be a tremendous amount of revelation and awakening to know just exactly what sin is. But until that time, we have the precious gift of Jesus Christ. Amen?